With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is the latest, everyone? And welcome back to another episode of the In the Paint Show presented by Ball is Life. Devin Uglin and Ronnie Flores here with you for episode number 106. And Ronnie, today we're going to start off with a couple non-basketball topics. We're going to talk uh, the Bishop Sycamore debacle. I'm sure everyone's kind of been following that the last couple of weeks. Um, then we're going to discuss USC's firing of Clay Helton and which way they should possibly go with that hire. Um, and finally, the uh, New York Mets documentary. Um, I think it was called Once Upon a Time in Queens. Ronnie, you yeah. have some interesting takes on that. It was a great documentary. So let's jump in right now to Bishop Sycamore. Uh, I'm sure all of you guys know the story so far, so we can just kind of cover it really quickly, which is a, a basically a, a piecemeal prep school team, right? Um, with little to no Division One prospects and many post-grad players. Yeah. Not even a and lot of legitimate high school players, right? Not even, yeah, not not a whole lot. Some guys who even played uh, a little bit of junior college football, <laughs> took some snaps at the JUCO level, um, somehow, some way, managed to get their way onto to ESPN in a in a nationally televised game against uh, powerhouse IMG Academy, and it was a blowout. And um, <laughs> After the game, you know, all this stuff started snowballing. Uh, the fact that uh, that school wasn't quite vetted as much as it should have been. Sure. And it, it should not have been a team, you know, matched up against the quality team like IMG uh, for two reasons. One, because Bishop Sycamore wasn't very good. And number two, Bishop Sycamore had guys <laughs> who would be ineligible to play uh, high school football or you know, prep school In football. Sports. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, so, Ronnie, have, have you ever seen anything quite like this, or is this new for you? Well, yeah, something that would be similar parallel was about 25 years ago. Uh, you know, national rankings are getting more and more popular, things like that. And Mount Zion really came out of nowhere. And obviously them getting Tracy McGrady kind of put the program on the map. Uh, they beat Harvard-Westlake with the Collins Twins in the final of the Las Vegas tournament. And that was the Collins twins only lost that year. So, uh, you know, they'd won their division. Obviously there wasn't an open division yet. And they were the best team in the state. I mean, they beat, they handed modern day, one of their worst losses. Um, they were better than Dominguez in D2. They were better than Crenshaw in D1 and they won D3. But that, that, that Mount Zion team was the only team they lost to. And then they were on the national map. And obviously McGrady went on to be a first, you know, first round pick, whatnot. And they started getting good players. Obviously, even then that started attracting good players. But two years later, Devin, they had a guy from Baltimore who was like a six year player. It was like really bizarre. It was like the 99 or 2000 season. And they were nationally ranked in 98. They were nationally ranked again. And obviously everybody removed them from the rankings. 
and like they never return. Like people are like, oh, this is renegade. This is you know they they're getting players from wherever. Obviously, uh, I got didn't get picked up as quickly, but people realized. Wait a minute, somebody saw it and is like that kid played in Baltimore two years ago. Like he shouldn't be Aljo. <laughs> so, but it wasn't like widespread across the team. You know, it was just one kid, but it was enough to like people raise eyebrows. And then so you started looking at these teams, um, you know, like, hey, do they belong in here? And and uh, Stu Vetter, who coached at Montrose Christian, he coached Kevin Durant, and he coached uh, previously at Fitton Hill Prep, where he coached Dennis Scott. He'd always mentioned that in Oak Hill's early years, they had a lot of kids from New York that were, like, older. And th- that's basically how Oak Hill became a, a national power. They They were getting kids from mainly New York and New Jersey who needed to clean up their academics, and they had some older kids. But now we're talking, like, mid-'80s, you know, and then they cleaned it up. So that would be the only one that I would be like, wow, like something along the lines of Bishop Sycamore. But obviously now people pick up on those things real fast, much faster. The information travels much faster and it. You would think it'd be more cleaner, but you just never know. I mean, I think the thing that people got excited about or was like, oh, what's going on here is like they had mixed match jerseys and didn't even have like helmets that match that. Like people were like, why is this team played, like you said, one of the best teams in the country? It, yeah, it, it, uh, <laughs> it, it, honestly, like you laugh at it, but when you really break it down, it's, it's kind of uh, kind of weird, kind of kind of gross, kind of grimy. Um, yeah, kind of weird. Well, I think it goes back to the point of we talked about this before, and and you want, um, you know, whether it's game on Fox, whether it's games on Ball is Live Stream, whether it's a game on ESPN, you want a good game, and I think we've gotten away from like. I think for Paragon and ESPN, they want the top players on these games. So by getting IMG, you're so focused on putting IMG and trying to fill their schedule because IMG can't play everybody. They can no longer play CIF schools. They can't play certain state associations. Um, you, But you want them on TV as much as possible. So I think that focus kind of clouded, either clouded people's vision or they didn't pay attention. Like it's not that important to get IMG on. Like there's, there's, they'll, they can be on against other people, you know. Like, it, yeah, it, they're trying to fill their schedule, and I don't, I think IMG kind of, um, I guess they're they figure we're gonna win, but they kind of got off the hook on this if you think about it. Like they, they should have been like, wait a minute, we we're not gonna play them either, you know. So yeah, the you know a lot of the the conversation surrounding it's like who gets to blame, obviously. Uh, you know, ESPN and Paragon, uh, you know, bear some of that weight on their shoulders for for not vetting the team properly or, you know, doing, doing uh, the necessary research to know that, uh, you know, this team is not quite what they're being sold as. And then obviously Bishop Sycamore gets blamed for, you know, being the team that decides to, you know, jump on TV with mismatched jerseys and mismatched helmets (laughs) and older players and things like that. But man, you, you would think that a, a program as, uh, you know, gifted and as, you know, with the resources that IMG has, they'd be like, wait a second, like someone's got to know some of these, some of those kids on that team and be like, they played here like two years ago, whatever it may be. But yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a wild story. It really is. And I, I think um, it's our over, um, Devin, to cut you off. I think it's our, a lot of it is our over, um, we 
I guess like oversensitivity or over a reaction to like exposure. Like these guys want to, yeah, they'll do anything to get on TV. It's like, it's not even that. So you lost 44 to zero or 56, whatever. What like, and that was one of what, seven or eight games from a Geico kickoff. Like how many people were even paying attention? That's right. another thing. Like how many people were even paying attention to that game, especially by the second quarter. There were, there was, there was, it wasn't a big, throng of fans watching that game. So I'm not sure what either team really got out of it. Yeah. To tell you the truth. Yeah. Very little, very little. Um, And and I think to your point about the exposure and being on TV and top recruits, it's like, it it seemed, you hate to speculate, but it seemed to me like Bishop Sycamore put its roster in or sent its roster to ESPN and said, Oh, offers from this, this, this school offers from you know yeah, list what does that mean? and yeah. and they didn't do their their research to realize that like those those were not factual uh and if you listen to an espn broadcast on a high school sports event right yeah. now it's like oh he's a five star and espn yeah. it's, it's all about yeah plugging their brand yeah. yeah and it, it's nothing about the game so i think we're kind of getting lost in the whole oh five star four star offers from here, right. here, and here. Like, instead of just calling the game, putting the game on TV, it's going to be a good football game, right? Not yeah. not packing the game with the most, you know, five-star recruits as possible. And I because- think that's where they, they, they made the mistake and, and it got lost in the shuffle, as you say. Like, you want IMG on there because they have all these good players. And obviously you want to, you know, make your ESPN 300 or ESPN 100 look good. But at, at that cost, it wasn't really worth it, you know, and, and – and is that even a good game? Like you said, it's 44 to zero or whatever it is. It's, 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 it's almost defeating the purpose. You'd rather, I'd rather watch a good game that has two or three D one guys and just say, Hey, who are those two, three, one guys? Oh, I'm, I'll watch this game. You know, it's right. 14, 17, 14 in the fourth quarter or something. It's two pretty good teams. They have a lot of fans. That's another yeah. thing that makes a lot of difference as we talk about some of these, some of these other things we're going to talk about, especially like that 86 Mets team on that dock, they, the fans make a huge difference. We've seen that with college football the last couple of weeks. And I think we could that's a good way to segment into our next topic, which is USC football. Like the fans make a huge difference. I mean, I necessarily wouldn't go to a big 80K stadium right now. It's not really like my thing. But, I mean, it's made such a huge difference. I mean, having the fans back at NFL games, and 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 caught major college football games is like people are you can tell people are kind of relieved and happy that that's going on. Yeah, the the fan presence brings a whole you know different element to the game, whether it's you know pressure or excitement, you know different yeah. things like that for for players. Um, but yeah, you know transferring into the USC firing of of Coach Clay Helton, Ronnie, uh, they lost to Stanford last week quite handily, yeah. and. You know, it, it was funny because uh, a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, on Twitter, we're like, oh, yeah, Clay Helton made it through the weekend. Like, he's going to be here for the long haul. He made it through the weekend. He made it through the weekend. Yeah. And then, uh, and then obviously, the, the news came out early earlier this week that he had been fired. And Dante Williams, who is a you know local junior college product here in Southern California, is the interim head coach for now. So, Ronnie um, – First, let's talk Clay Helton and the fact that, in my opinion, never really seemed like the long-term answer at head coach. And right. I think 
maybe two years ago, they, they kind of missed that opportunity to really move on and start over and ended up getting, you know, stuck for a couple more years because obviously COVID and then, um, you know, this year it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Finally. Yeah. yeah it, it was very interesting. You look yeah. at Clay Houghton and you're like, this was his seventh season. Oh right, my crazy. God. And it's just, I mentioned on Twitter, it's almost like you're dating a girl that you don't really have any interest in. That's what I kind of related. Like, you know, you're not going to marry her. You're not going to move in with her, but you just keep dating and dating and dating and dating. And it's like, at some point, one of you guys have to move on. You know what I mean? Like, for the better, man, it's not anything against her or anything against you. It's just, that's the right thing to do. You know, it's that's what I kind of felt like. I did watch the Stanford game. And obviously, yes, he has some, yes, he has a pretty good, some pretty good talent. But what the thing that I noticed a lot, they, they, they gave no, they gave up. They had no effort. So I don't know if they perfect because everybody goes, oh, Clay Houghton is such a nice guy. That was the media play. That's been the media play. And I'm thinking, bullshit, the players gave up on him. They don't care that he's a nice guy. They basically gave up on him. If the players would have gave better effort, I'm not sure he would have been fired. Like they basically said, we're we're gonna like we're not gonna really uh play a hundred ten percent for this guy the rest of the season. You could just see it, like they just kind of gave up. Stanford okay. wasn't really that much better than them, per se. No. You know, they just kind of gave up there. So what I don't understand is if you kind of know this, like you change a coach in two, two games, that's what like, then why didn't you make like you to your point? Why didn't you make look to make the change in the offseason? Maybe the, the candidate you want wasn't there. or Maybe the candidates weren't there. But now you're behind the eight ball again. Now you have another recruiting class you got to worry about. Are you going to let Williams coach? The recruits are going to be like, wait a minute, who's the coach? You kind of right. screwed this up again. Right. Like, like, it seems like SC and a little bit UCLA, too, over the years, I mean, for 20 years now, no clean, no coaching hire or uh, let go has been really, like, clean. Like, just, yeah. hey, thank you. Like, and then hire a new guy. It's always been something, okay, uh, Sarkeesian, and we're going to let him go. He has a problem. Uh, Kiffin, leave him on the yeah. tarmac. Yeah, Kiffin, Kiffin, leave him on the tarmac. Even yeah. going back to John Robinson in his second tenure, like Mike Garrett fired him on a on a on a on a voicemail. Like just here's <laughs> things like nothing is just like, hey guys, here's a, a press conference. This is a he had a great run, and we're they dude. Pete Carroll left on a video conference. Yeah, like to the Seahawks. It's just like nothing's ever been like, and I think that's why they've struggled. They just it just seems like they've never really been able to replace the magic that Pete Carroll brought for a while. And then, and it kind of ran out. He kind of jumped ship when things got bad and it's really hasn't been right since. Yeah. Uh, and do you think maybe it, the, the plan shouldn't be to try to replicate or replace Pete Carroll? Yeah. Like that's yeah. kind of a that's flash the, in the pan the problem, right? I think yeah. a little bit. And they're, they're trying to find that Pete Carroll replacement when really there, there isn't one. So where, where do you go from here? So you're hearing, yeah. uh, you know, James Franklin at Penn State. Uh, yeah. Obviously, these are just names that are being thrown out in, sure. in the rumor mill because it's USC football. It's a huge sure. brand. Uh, if they're able to get it going again, it's one of the best, you know, programs in college football. Yeah. Uh, James Franklin, who's at Penn State. Uh, Mario Cristobal, who's at Oregon right now doing well. Yeah. Uh, Luke Fickle. Uh, hearing, you know, Urban Meyer, uh, yeah. who's currently coaching the Jaguars, and he's coached like, the Jaguars for one game. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he 
he addressed rumors in a press conference saying that uh, he, there's no chance he's going to USC. I don't believe that for one that, second. That means that it's means there's a chance. Yeah, that means there's a huge <laughs> chance he's going to USC. Uh, yeah. I don't believe I don't believe I it for one second. That's uh, so bad for the Jaguars. He just hired the guy. You know what I mean? It's just I, 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 right. bad for the fans. I mean, like you said, Devin, USC is bigger than the Jacksonville Jaguars. For sure. I mean, they are. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. So any college coach, and I'm not, I'm leaving Urban Meyer out of this. You're going to take a long look at USC. If oh, you're yeah. like a coordinator in the NFL or, you know, uh, another big time college football coach who's coming up the ranks, like the coach from Cincinnati, the coach from Penn yeah, State. Luke Fickle. Yep. Yeah. Luke Fickle. You know, you're going to look at that job. I don't care. You can say you're not, you're going to, that's one of the two or three jobs across the country that you're going to, you're going to take a long look at. You have to look at it. There's, yeah. there's no, like, as far as location, recruiting yeah. ability, uh, yeah. pay, yeah, status. Yeah. If you can, if you can revive that program, you're yeah. set for the for next 25 years. Right. Yeah, for sure. And like yeah. you said, they got to move on to so answer your original question. They got to yeah. move on from Pete Carroll, like anything associated with that. Uh, again, we talk about timing going on. I mean, we're going to hit 222 here soon. I mean, time is moving on. Pete Carroll moved on, I believe, in 2010 or 11, whatever it was. That's over 10 years ago. You don't want your program to be stagnant. And and honestly, L.A. is a different place than it was when SC was at the height of its of its powers under Pete Carroll. Yeah. Let's look at Reggie Bush, that 25, 24, 26, 27. We didn't have pro football then. You know, we didn't, SoFi wasn't around then. I mean, social media was barely getting big. I mean, barely coming along, you know, yeah. Facebook, Twitter, 20809. Like, even though it doesn't seem like a long time ago, like, what worked for Pete Carroll is not necessarily going to work now. Like, it's just not. There's way more. Uh, SE went through, and I get, I hate to bring this up, but it's like, it's so awful that the thing with, um, the Nasser, the Michigan State uh, guy who was like a sexual predator, the the gymnastics and all that. You know, SC had its own problem with that. Yeah. I mean, they, they had a guy who was a tenured staff member who, like, was involved in all these malpractices, you know. And then they had the scandal for the um, entrance admissions. admissions. Yeah, yeah. With, with some Hollywood elites. And it's like, yeah. SC's a totally different school than it was 15 years ago. They're very much probably closer to the vest. They probably watch. Everything's monitored much quicker, like, and much deeper and much closer. So, like, what went on with Pete Carroll is not going to necessarily go on now, you know? Like, yeah, it was so loose. Practice was open. They'd have Snoop Dogg at practice. Everybody enjoyed it. But, like, that's not where we are right now. And that's not where the city of L.A. is. Like, you're dealing with um, the Chargers being here, the Rams being back. Yep. a new stadium like you need eyeballs you need excitement you you have you don't really have that right now yeah usc used to be the usc football used to be the hot ticket in town yeah. and now it's not because there's yeah. two there's two nfl franchises uh yeah. brand new stadium obviously that, yeah. that's being played in and um the you know when when the nba starts the clippers are good the lakers are good yeah you know the clippers lakers, are going to a new facility I mean, yeah, the Clippers. In, yeah, they're going to Inglewood in a new new uh, arena. They have two superstars, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Usually, yeah. you, usually, okay. You say, okay, what game am am I going to? Am I going to the Clipper game, right, or am I yeah. going to the USC football game on a Saturday afternoon? Honestly, ninety nine percent of the time when yeah. Pete Carroll was there, you're picking you're USC football. Yeah. Now, now it's not. It's probably fifty fifty right now. But yeah, right now you're not. Yeah. 
I'm not calling you up, Devin, or calling some guys up. Hey, you want to go, you know, watch this SC football game or something like that used to be normal activity. So how how do you bring that back? Like you said, you got to make the right hire. You got to keep um, the top quarterbacks and local recruits home. That's not happening. No, um, that needs to change. Like you look today, at you look you know? at their you look at the last three major quarterbacks to come out of uh, Southern yeah. California. Bryce Young, who was once yeah. committed to SC, yeah. they lost him to Alabama. He's a starter at Alabama now. as a, a sophomore. Doing, like, doing well so far. Yeah, you know? yeah, he had a huge first game, and then uh, DJ Uyagale from St. John Bosco went to Clemson. He struggled yeah. in his first game, bounced back a little bit in his second game. And uh, JT Daniels from Modern Day, he obviously was at USC, yeah. got hurt, then got beat out for a spot by Keaton Slovis, who is kind of on a on a downward trend right now, uh, yeah. based on what they you know what they thought he was going to be in that air raid offense. And you just you look at the the high level, you know, Drake London obviously was one of the top receivers in in the area, and he's at USC. Gary Bryant from Corona Centennial, I covered him a couple times live. He's really good. But overall, yeah. like the the depth and the playmakers at every position, especially the running back position and the quarterback positions, uh, have been lacking the last yeah. seven years. Six, seven years. Yeah, for yeah. a while. It's gone on for a while. And it's, as you very, very it's interesting, as St. John Bosco and Modern Day have, have risen to like the top of the pillar of high school football. SC's just kind of gone the other way. That's a very interesting, you know, dynamic. Again, it has nothing – it's not directly tied. I mean, you obviously got to get the best players, but um, that's kind of an interesting notion there in the last, you know, five to seven years. Yeah. As Bosco and Modern Day have just elevated from a rest of the pack. They're just, like, on another level. So that, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out now that COVID is kind of – there's fans, people are back at games. And and you know it, it seemed pretty exciting, like the to have the Chargers in their first game, and the Raiders in their first game in in Allegiant Stadium with fans. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, very interesting times. Is pro sports is always changing, but yeah, you know, SC I think has got to make a commitment to a guy that they can have long term and that they they can re a guy that can recruit or maybe keep Williams with another head coach. And 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 have the right assistance because they they need to create that excitement and, and have the best players and they need a good they need a franchise quarterback. I yeah. mean I mean Carson Palmer was that guy for Pete at the beginning. Then he he transitioned to Matt Leiner. Like they're gonna need a guy to really produce that quarterback at a high high level for sure. Yeah, they need that face. They need that you know yeah. that presence at that position. Um, if you had if you had to pick somebody today, Ronnie, is there? Any ideas that come to your head of a guy who who could you know turn this thing around and be that coach for SC? I mean, if they get the corner, I if they get the corners they want, I would say the the Cincinnati coach. But yeah. I would also make a look at again. He may be an NFL head coach, and I know people have been clamoring Eric Bieniemy, who's the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. I mean, he's from Southern California, went to Bishop mm -hmm. Mott. Mm -hmm. uh, he went to Colorado, but uh, you know he you'd have to look at him. Or, or pursue him, I would think. And again, I don't know how much he's been in tied to like, does he follow like recruiting a little bit? Does he kind of know, hey, I got to get this guy, my staff or, I mean, he's been in the NFL. So that may be a de deterrent, but he's, he's a hell, it seems to be a hell of a coach and a lot of people want him. So. Yeah. The last few years, it's been like, 
every NFL coach head coaching gig yeah. he's been tied to. Like he needs an interview. He needs to be hired for this job. So sure, sure. Obviously, local from Bishop Mott, he played in the Pac-12 or Pac-10 back then. Yeah. Um, obviously, has coached in in the conference before with Colorado and UCLA, Colorado twice actually. And uh, yeah, I think that that seems like a a, a no brainer fit. I'm not a I'm not a NFL. I mean, a, a college yeah. coaching search firm, but seems like a good fit. All right, Ronnie, let's transition again into the Mets documentary. I know you were you were watching that closely and tweeting yeah, about right. it quite a bit. Um, yeah, it was exciting. I mean, it was a, it's something yeah. I wanted to follow. It was something, just, different. It was something different. different. Yeah, like we get it. We talk about time and how much things have changed. Um, just a very interesting take on the 86 Mets. Uh, for the younger fans that don't know, they they uh, won 108 games and they won the, the – the division by a lot, but like the the playoffs and the NLCS and the World Series was so nail biting. Looked like they were gonna lose to the Astros, and they had this monster like 16 inning game where they close them out in six, and then they were down 2-0 in the World Series. Just to kind of recap it to the Boston Red Sox, Boston hadn't won a World Series since Babe Ruth left. It was like this big curse and this big. Oh, the the Red Sox will never win. This is their year. They had a really good team too, and they uh, went up 2-0. Then the, it looked like the the Mets were going to be done in six, and then this whole thing unraveled. They were down to their last out. They had nobody on, and they somehow pulled the game out in uh, the tenth, I believe. And then they they won on an error, and it was just a big time error. And then they to the Boston Red Sox credit, Devin, I didn't really think about this. They went up 3-0 in game seven because you think they're decimated after that Buckner error at first yeah. base. But actually, they went up 3-0, and the, yeah. and the Mets still rallied again. So there was a lot of uh, managerial decisions that people questioned. But more than that, it was about, I think, the the players on that Mets team. They were so dynamic for that time. Obviously, it wasn't social media and things like that. But people knew about them. You followed it. As, you know, that's when I started following it. Like, I mean, before that, I had baseball cards and I could look at the stats and I knew what was going on. But that's like the first team I saw that I actually knew something about them. Like, hey, didn't he get in trouble last night? Right. I heard he got into a bar fight. Oh, man, strawberries and his wife were, you know, they're not doing too good. I knew about that then, even as a kid in L.A. on a team in New York. So, yeah, it was interesting and exciting following that. Um and it just talked about the personalities and just about how sports was then compared to now. And we can draw some parallels. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to get your take on it. Obviously, that was a, quite a while for you, almost 35 years ago. But what, what did you think about it? Yeah, I wasn't even uh, yeah. born yet. But it, so that I like always watching the things that were before my time. Yeah, and sure. Obviously, the baseball stuff is interesting. I, I think, uh, you know, when, when Kevin Mitchell was was supposed to be – you know, pinch hitting. He's up in the clubhouse. Yeah, and him and he's pissed. And or, yeah. Keith Hernandez and all those guys are up in the clubhouse or in the office watching on TV because they think they're going to lose. That's interesting to me. Yeah, uh, shit like that. Yeah, just yeah. stories you hear. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously, I knew about Daryl Strawberry's uh, issues. Sure. I knew about Doc Gooden's issues. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I mean, this this is this is tough. But Lenny Dykstra looked horrible in that documentary. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. And I have, you know, I, I was covering Erico Baseball about okay. 10 years ago. Uh, his son, Cutter Dykstra, I believe, played at Westlake. 
at the time. And Lenny would go to the games and he was eccentric. Then he would stand behind center field and not want anybody to see him. It was at Blair Field, which you've been to a few times, yeah. probably Devin in Long Beach. And he'd yeah. be out there behind center field and like he didn't want to be bothered. And he was a little out there, you know. Uh, very interesting. I, I another reason I like that documentary is they had so many guys from California that it followed. You know, Lenny went to Garden Grove. Obviously, Daryl went to Crenshaw. Um, Keith Hernandez is from San Bruno Cappuccino. Kevin Mitchell's from San Diego. Mm -hmm. Um, they have a few more. George Foster's from uh, Losinger. You know, they had a lot of guys that were from California. So it it, it always was interesting to me, even though they had. A, they played for the Mets, you know, it was just an interesting story. And like you said, that, that it just goes to show you where we were at that time with like drugs and, and yeah. athletes like dude, dog good. And even more than straw, you know, straw had his problems. Like dog good and needed some major help and, and he didn't really get it. And that, mm -hmm. that was unfortunate. You know, I, I knew about the parade, why he missed the parade. That was kind of out there for a long, long time. I mean, he talked about it. It's even him talking about it, it's pretty surreal, but like you knew about that. The one thing I didn't know about, that's a good tidbit. That was funny. And it just kind of showed like the inner workings of baseball. Why did Roger Clemens in the seventh or eighth inning, go back to the clubhouse and shave to try to look like pretty boy. And like that really pissed the Mets off. They noticed it. I mean, you know, like, yeah. what's this full shaving for? Like, Oh, they think they're going to win. Like, it's not over yet. Yeah, in baseball, it's just never over. Well, know, I over. think look, another part was they flashed like congratulations, Boston Red Sox, World Series champions, or yeah, yeah, and also like named the the World Series MVP and yeah, flashed on Yeah, so there was a lot of things kind of going on, uh, not even behind the scenes, but you know things that shouldn't have been going on that uh, yeah did that kind of uh, you know pissed the Mets off, and uh, yeah. they you know obviously they were putting all the uh, celebration stuff together in the Red Sox uh, locker yeah. room. That was and, another great piece, like yeah. another little tidbit. Bob Costas was in there yeah. trying to – everybody's trying to coordinate and, and get this champagne here. And and they had to take it all out before the Red Sox <laughs> got back there. Yeah. That was great. That was great. Like, oh, shit, because they're watching on TV too. And I, it was very interesting to see, like, obviously big money was coming into New York because New York was in a bad spot in the 70s and and you start seeing limos and things like that and it's funny they showed like a bunch of people climbing around a limo with a small TV is probably 8 yeah. inch trying to watch like the yeah. game like just shit you don't you're not going to see now like you just realize how much the world has changed you know i never thought about it cuz I, I was watching it on tv i i wanted to watch it obviously cuz ben scully was calling it yeah so i was like this is great you know this is a great series but like, and I like Strawberry already. I was like, oh, Straw's the man, you know. Like, I like Doc Gooden, but you know, it 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 just goes to show you, like, wow, it kind of puts things in perspective to what we're going through now. Kind of like you said with the Bishop Sycamore thing, how everything's under the microscope. Like, Doc Gooden, I mean, they would have had to nowadays, Devin, remove him from the from the active oh, roster. Sure. I mean, TMZ and others would have be trailing him everywhere. <laughs> like, know. there's just no way he would be able to do anything. Like. Yeah, I feel bad for Doc, you know, because he's and it showed in his Doc and Daryl documentary, too. Like he's he's still fighting his demons. Seems like Daryl Strawberry's cleaned up his act quite a bit. You know, he's he has a level head. He has a clear head. You know, like he seems like he's he's, he's he has a really clear head. And and he even said it, you know, my mom 
uh, my mom's teaching me and whatever I went through, like it's finally, I finally kicked in and I'm, I'm, I'm finally got it. You know what I mean? Right. And you mentioned that at the end. If you imagine, you know, you know, Daryl Strawberry as a, you know, he was, you know, abusing his wife or spousal abuse, yeah. right? Yeah. Can you imagine what Twitter would do to him right now? Oh, yeah. If he were doing this right now, he, he wouldn't be playing. And Well, and he played in that one game, and everybody knew that he and his wife had a big fight, and she had a little bit of a shiner or a little bit of, like, a black at the parade. Right. And, so, you know, like, that wouldn't just, happen nowadays. Yeah. It's just that, crazy. That's just I, crazy, you know? Like, I think my... <laughs> Yeah, my favorite part of the whole documentary, Ronnie, was the uh, the plane ride home from the Astro from the series. Astro and they series. tore the fucking thing apart because they were partying so hard. Oh, dude, was, you see when everybody got off the yeah. plane, how they looked? I mean, yeah. Their yeah. shirts were all disheveled. Like, And the the owner like was like, okay, you guys need to pay for all the damage. And they're like, no, yeah. fuck you. We're not paying. Yeah. They ripped it up, yeah. dude. That was, yeah. that was probably yeah, Davey Johnson. Yeah. I mean, Davey Johnson was trying to keep them together. I think he knew. Some of them players had some real bad problems. I mean, I don't know what he knew about Doc, but I know he 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 knew because again, when Ray Knight and Nancy Lopez had that like dinner, the commissioner pulled them aside and said, "Hey, you guys have a problem. We have detectives trailing your players. And you guys have a problem." And like it was just a different time. Like they didn't suspend Doc. They didn't pull Davy Johnson. So I just don't understand why the commissioner didn't talk to Davy Johnson. Like why Ray Knight? Because he's yeah. like. The clean guy, you know, like right. they, all the clean guys. We could talk to the clean guys, or like the guys that live hard. Like they're just unapproachable. That that was, I guess, this is how it was, you know, back then. Maybe that it was like that in workplaces too, you know, Maybe. in other workplaces. It, it kind of yeah. was, I mean, you know, like I just don't understand that. And then, you know, um, yeah, that the, the dynamic with Davy Johnson and and the owner and and the commissioner didn't make a whole lot of like what was that all about. And and uh, yeah, that plane ride home was 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 pretty nuts. And the scuffing with with Mike Scott scuffing the ball yeah. was pretty funny. I mean, they were just totally zonked out. Like the the Mets were would have lost that game seven. I mean, they yeah. they pretty much admitted they're like we just couldn't hit the guy. He was just on top of his game. And and then when you when you think about like Bill Buckner, obviously they didn't they didn't interview, they didn't cover Bill Buckner much. Yeah, and like he's been he's been covered ad nauseum yeah. though. It's like man, oh, leave yeah, the guy yeah. alone. Yeah, and it's like they had a chance to win game seven, so it wasn't even Buckner's fault, like, right. completely. Like, he should have been out of the game. A defensive switch should have been made, and, like, they still had a chance to win game seven. But I guess, uh, you know, the Red Sox had it tough. Obviously, the fans took it out on him, and, and they didn't really forgive him, Devin, until they won their second World Series. So they won the World Series in 04, and then they won again in 07. And then in opening day of 08, they kind of invited Buckner to throw out the first pitch. It was like an emotional thing, and they finally like got over it. But it was like Buckner had gotten over it. It's the Red Sox fans who just couldn't get over it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and I I kind of see why, but it's like so so many things snowballed, and and it was just very very interesting. Uh, the what what those little tidbits about Clemens and the plane ride, that was kind of new stuff to me. And then like. Maybe the the producer of it really liked Keith Hernandez. Yeah. Or it made it seem like, dude, they made Keith Hernandez like they made him seem like just a badass. Like he was a superstar, dude. Dude, like Keith Hernandez had it all. Like he he would go party. He would keep it kind of like, okay, I'm not gonna go overboard. I'll make it to the ballpark. I'm gonna lead this team. 
Like, dude, he he gave Daryl Strawberry so many tidbits and like so many things to be a pro. And like Strawberry loved it and he thanked him. And then like he could still be one of the guys, but he was also the leader. And like he was just like a smart guy, like his IQ. He would go to the mound. He basically told the Gary guys, shut the hell up. Don't listen to Carter. Like, let me tell you what you need to do. Like, I thought that was great. Like, don't pay attention to Carter. He doesn't know shit. Like, yeah. this is what we need to do, you know. Like, you yeah, don't so see that very often. Like, just a guy who can lead like that completely. Yeah, now, again, that might have been the slant they made to – again, maybe they like him. Maybe maybe the producer liked him. But, I mean, it seemed very, like, wow, Keith is a stud. Yeah, my first introduction to Keith Hernandez, uh, funny enough, is on Seinfeld when he made a couple yeah. appear. He made an appearance yeah. on an episode. Yeah, uh, you know he comes in and you know uh, is a fan of Jerry's comedy. Yeah. Jerry's obviously a fan of Keith Hernandez, and like sure. I didn't even like when I watched Seinfeld, I was like, okay, it's a guy who played baseball, whatever, whatever. And, yeah, yeah, and that, now I have a little bit more uh, insight onto why Keith Hernandez was kind of that guy, right? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of funny. Yeah. One of the I forget which pitcher it was, but uh, you know he was struggling. He was throwing a bunch of fastballs. He was a lefty, yeah. struggling, getting getting yeah. hit, and he comes up yeah. to the mound and tells the dude, "If you throw one more fastball, yeah. I'll kill you or something." Yeah, yeah. And then he he struck the <laughs> guy out. Yeah, yeah. he, he just had a great. Yeah, the one thing that stood out, and then we'll move on, is is when they Ray Knight got into that fight with Eric Davis, so they had to make all these switches. So Carter went to third base, and and Ojeda went to the outfield. It was all messed up because it was a going into extra innings and like yeah. Hernandez just was playing in and they pulled this this double play it was like dude that was a great play like he read it perfectly Carter was at third they got the double play guy you know the pitcher was covering it was like this guy is really that smart like so yeah it was it was it was a good thing and and you just take it seem like man you know you talk about Dwight Good and and that story about they had detectives you know, following him and like, hey, he's not in a good spot. It's very interesting in that draft, the 86 NBA draft, like afterwards, after the draft, the Golden State Warriors were having the same thing. They were having detectives following Chris Washburn, who was the third pick, and they were telling the Warriors, um, you know, front office, like, hey, your guy is in a bad spot here. He's going to drug houses. He's hanging out with people he shouldn't hang out with. Like, dude, how did they get there? Like, how did that come up, Devin? Like, what's this, like, counter surveillance after the fact? Like, why didn't they do this stuff before? Like, it yeah. just it blows my mind how some of these stories come out. Like, and again, drugs was a huge thing then. Len Bias died. And, I mean, Doc was so strung out. Like, he was like, oh, my God, this guy died. Like, dude, I need to hook up with his drug dealer. Like, dude, that's a crazy thought. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's you, know, you gotta uh, be out there. Like, yeah, oh, he that that's a, for a 22 year old guy, whatever he was, 23, like he needed some serious help. For sure. Yeah, that yeah, it's kind of interesting just to see, you know, all you know, all those different things come together. And uh Keith Hernandez was painted as, you know, the, the shining star of that team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um and, and let's problems. Yeah. Yeah. Let's transition into some some potential stars that we've seen at the high school level uh over the last couple of weekends, Ronnie. You were at the uh, Cream of the County run by our good friend Aaron Bergen down in San Diego. Um, yeah. Why don't you give us uh, – I wasn't there. I uh, had some some other things I was uh, was doing that day. Sure. Why don't you give us a, a rundown of you know standouts that you saw from the various games? Yeah, let me start with um, 226, which would be yeah. incoming eighth graders. Um, C.J. Aldrich, a guard from Madison Middle School, 
Uh, he was very good. I thought he was good. Uh, Jeremiah Prophet from Game Point is going to be a good high school player, about 6'3". Um, again, I don't know where these guys are going to high school yet. His dad, is, uh, his dad is James Prophet. He coaches one of Game Point's Inland Empire teams. I think they, gotcha. they live in the Temecula, Murrieta area, so he may be going right. to high school in that area. In that area, gotcha, yeah. Um, Jaden Gray from uh, San Diego Prospects. He was the MVP of one of the teams. And uh, Jaden Bales, 5'10", San Diego Soldiers, uh, 226. He was another really good player. And Jeremiah Turner, another game point guy, kind of stood out in that game. Almost all guards here. Wasn't a lot of size. Yeah. It was, it was a good young players. You know, Gray's going to be good. Profit's going to be good. Good uh, good young players. The MVP of the next game was Gavin Gwynn from St. Augustine. He's a 225. He plays for West Coast Elite. Um, Treshawn DeGreat, he's going to San Diego High, San Diego Soldiers. And the MVP for the other team was Jaden Wade. He's also at San Diego, and he plays for the San Diego Soldiers. So I think Gavin Gwynn got moved up to the final game. He really made a nice showing um, in that 225 game. There was only one 225 game. And then okay. there in the rest of the games, there was a few games. There was... Um, more than one select game in, in a, like a cream game or a, a top game. So the MVP of the select game for 224 was Kai Brown from St. Augustine. Again, the guys from St. Augustine really had a great game, great day. The event was at St. Augustine, so maybe they were kind of uh, comfortable. They were, you know, they, they played well. So it was Kai Brown, 5'11 guard, did really well. And the other MVP was Drew Clevenger from La Costa Canyon, 6'3", 224. Did a, uh, did very well. And then we got into the games where we started uh, seeing the more, uh, you know, kind of prospects. Guys are going to play in the next level. Uh, 224 cream game. Lolo Rudolph, again, from St. Augustine. He plays for Dream Vision. He's the, probably the top 224 in, in, in San Diego. Uh, good, good guard, good vision, good speed. He got moved up to the top game as well, or he might have already been slated for the top game, but he played in both. And, and Jake Bishop from Mission Hills, he also plays for Game Point, 5'11 guard. He was the MVP for the black team. I thought I thought he did very well. Obviously, Lolo's kind of the name that stands out. He's one of the standouts of the event, I think, in any you cross any any uh, grade. And then you go to the juniors, uh, 223 rising juniors in the select game. Uh, Parker Je Jelsing. I hope I didn't mess up his name. He's, he's the, he was the MVP for one of the teams. Um, he's from La Costa Canyon. He play, he plays for Players Play, six foot uh, guard. I also thought Ozenio Diallo did good from Point Loma. He made some nice passes. A lefty. I thought he stood out on that team. Some of the standouts on on the other team were uh, Nolan Ruder from Coronado. He shoots it pretty well. I thought Zane Goldman from San Marcos, 6'1", was a solid player. And the MVP for that team was uh, from La Jolla Country Day, Anthony Arufo, 6'1". Again, so a lot of guards, not a lot of size in the underclass, underclassmen, you know, teams. Not a lot, you know, guards. So it was very interesting. Uh, you know, again, we look at San Diego, obviously, St. Augustine is a top team. And then you go to the cream game for 223s. A lot of a lot of players here. Uh, I could go over a lot of a lot of names. I was watching this game close. It was actually a, a pretty good game. Uh, the MVP. Let me look for this MVP here. Did we name an MVP? 
Oh, I can't I can't uh, call the MVP. I have all my notes here. You look at two twenty three cream game. Yeah, two twenty three cream I'll text, game. I'll text Aaron real quick. <laughs> yeah, um, you know the got Baron Noble. He was a good guard with the first step. He was quick. He I thought he did well. San Diego high five ten. Um, Elijah Newsom from Ote Ranch, tough. He played solidly, six foot guard. Uh, he, I thought he did very well. Um, the the uh, probably best prospect played in this game, Jacob uh, Barnaby. He yeah was previously at Torrey Pines, as as we know. He didn't play there. He's he slated to play at San Diego High. He runs well. He was finishing. Again, he stood out too because he's about six eight. Obviously, there wasn't a lot of size as I mentioned. Yeah, uh, Christian Gonzalez, who's now back at Modern Day. He was previously at Mission Bay. 6'3 guard, strong, did well, good all-round game. He's at Modern Day Catholic. He plays for the Oakland Soldiers, and, and he did well. Um, on the other team, we had a guy who stayed at Mission Bay, uh, Angelo Gill, who's a well-known high school player. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, speed, slashing, did really well in this game. He's about 6'1". I like Alex Cabulio from Torrey Pines. Again, young, probably didn't play much last year. Six two, six three. I thought he did heady and he, he did well. Darius Carter Hollinger, who's now over at Saints, who was previously at um Foothills Christian. Foothills Christian in Al Cajon. Uh, you know, he's 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 a name we've well known and, and he's gotta keep improving. Uh, you know, again, some guys are catching him. He was one of the most well known guys as a, as a younger prospect. And he's just got to keep developing and working on his game. But he had some good moments, and he's a good player. Uh, Miles Harris, point guard from San Diego High, pretty shifty. He did well. And um, I also like uh, Jurion Dixon, obviously from Saints. Team, why not? He's a well-known player. I thought he did better in the uh, in the, the main game, but he was obviously one of the stands of standouts in that game. And then in the main game. You know, you go to 222 where the best players are. Now, there were some players moved up from some of the uh, 222 games. There was there was three games, and and some of them guys were moved up. So the guys that I believe moved up were, were Gavin Gwynn in 225, Jake Bishop in 224, uh, Caden McCormick, 222, uh, Sebastian Medina moved up, uh, Jaden Wade is also 225. Jesse Schneider. Again, I may have been missing a few. Uh, Elijah Newsom moved up from 223. These are the guys who were not on the original um, original cream game roster, which is the main game. Right. And the guy who did really well, and the guy who did well uh, an event the next week that we saw at the, the Pangos uh, showcase, and he's just a good left-handed guard, is Jaden Matingu from St. Augustine, who plays for Game Point. He did really well. I thought he had a terrific game. He had 15 points, hit some threes, was active, getting back on D. He had a couple block shots, hit a couple threes late. He was really rebounding the ball. He can push it. And and he was the MVP. I thought he was the top standout of that of that top game, Devin. Um, I, I know you've seen him before. He had 15 points and 10 rebounds. Uh, Martin Grum Grumwell is a is a prospect that was well first. People talk a lot of him. They have a lot of different views about his level how he did i thought uh devin and 
Aaron mentioned that, you know, Martin didn't have the greatest game, but he said he looked back at the tape and he's like, guy, he did pretty good. Just, you know, with his size, he had, uh, I believe, 12 rebounds. He played pretty well. He moves pretty well. He's still working on his offensive game. He's obviously a little more advanced on the defensive end. Uh, Alexis Marmejos has been around for a long time. We've He's been at a lot of events. We've covered him for a long time from Army, Navy, San Diego All-Stars. Had 10 points. He, I thought he did really well. He's really showed himself well uh, in that final game. Mm-hmm. Angelo Gill did well. Um, another Jerry on Diction was the co-MVP with with our guy from uh, St. Augustine and two St. Augustine guys, obviously teammates, Jaden and, and Jerry on. And, and Jerry on Dixon had 16 points. He was kind of like, he kind of, I think, kind of just played his, his, his position in that lower game. He just kind of not necessarily coasted, but he didn't re- he really turned it on in this final game. Kind of showed he's one of the top prospects. Wanted to show people like, Hey, I, I'm the top dog down here. I can, I, you know, this is kind of like my town in terms of like, I'm the top player coming back. This right. is my team. That's the kind of thing I got from me. He really turned it on offensively. Uh, there was a lot of good players in that, in that game. Kaden McCormick from St. Francis Parker. Um, again, Lodo Rudolph didn't have a big statistical game, but he, he showed that he can do some things with the top players. So overall it was a good event to look at. You know, kind of one-stop shopping for San Diego players and San players in San Diego County, and 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 Devin, obviously, like I said, you saw um, Jade in the following week, and he he just continued to play well. Yeah, Jade Mantingu, good player. Lola Rudolph, obviously, we've seen him a lot um, with Saints, and um, uh, another guy from down there, Jacob Bannerby, we've seen him a lot. Uh, Aaron responded. He said, officially, the 223 Cream Game MVP was Elijah Newsom and uh, Vincent Ricciuti. Yeah. yeah. I think Vincent Ricciuti also goes to uh, St. Augustine. Yeah. And uh, unofficially, he said, after watching back the film, uh, yeah. Banner B was probably the best overall prospect in that game. And then yeah. he said, Thomas Metcalf uh, deserves some credit as well for his performance. So obviously, That's Ronnie. Cool. Aaron uh, um, takes a lot of heat down in San Diego for for some reason, uh, but he does a great job putting that that cream of the county together and making yeah. it making it affordable for people to attend, making it affordable for uh, families and parents to come watch. Yeah, and yeah, he does does a good job of rounding up talent, and it's a very important event for people like you and I to get to, yeah. uh, so that we can see all the San Diego talent at, at one shot because. During the season, it's not often that we get down there and go to a modern day Chula Vista game. Yeah, modern day Chula Vista against whoever Torrey Pines, whatever if they play. Yeah, we, we don't get to a lot of those games in the playoffs. We see a lot of those teams. Sure, uh, we try to as much as possible. But it, it, Aaron does a great job. So shout out to Aaron. Let's move over to the full court press Pangos uh, Best of SoCal Showcase. We were both there from twelve o'clock until nine o'clock that that night. Yeah. Um, so I will start first, Ronnie. We'll go back and forth. So I'll start with a couple of standouts in the uh, 226, which is the incoming or current eighth graders. Um, I liked, I think my my favorite prospect in that game overall was Jay, Jay Sean Kibble, uh, the 5'10 ish athletic, wiry guard uh, from the Gardena area. Obviously, we don't know what high school these guys go to, uh, we just know kind of the city or middle school they go to. So Jay Sean Kibble's from Gardena. He's going to be a really good player down the line, I think. 
uh, Jack Jeffrey from Windward, a big time shooter. Yes. Uh, AJ Johnson, uh, currently at SCA Academy, uh, plays for uh, Sterling Jones at Players Play. Uh, good feel, good pace, high yeah. IQ, good decision. Little lefty that can do a lot of things. Yep, yep, he's a good player. And then a couple San Diego guys, uh, Briggs Young and Xander Ovis, both from the uh, I think North County or Vista area of San Diego. Uh, Briggs Young, good shooter, good offensive feel. Uh, at, a, at a young age. And then Xander Ovis was kind of a physical downhill driver and strong finisher around the basket. Who are your, who are your guys uh, in the yeah. game? I, I like Kibble as well. Cause he's smart. Yeah. He, he plays the game one step ahead, especially at that age. Um, I like Jason black from San Diego as well. He moves well. He, he played pretty well. Jack Jeffrey was hitting shots. As you mentioned, Timmy Anderson from Las Vegas said, I thought he had good skill. He had some good drives. So we're on the same page there. And then obviously um, some of the standouts you would have would be the same ones I'd have. I, I like uh, Marquis White. He's a big, strong kid already. He's grown a lot in the last six to eight months. His dad played football and basketball at, at Long Beach Poly, but he, he lives in the Chino Hills area. And I believe, you know, right now he's slated to go to Corona Centennial, but obviously these guys are a year away from yeah. high school. And he's a big, strong kid. So, um, you know, he 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 also played in some other games, which we'll we'll go over a little bit. But he he can physically handle the rigors of playing against like a high school player right now. So, yeah, he's going to be a good high school player regardless. Yeah, he's a guy who I liked because I had enlisted as well. Um, yeah. And then Justice Griffith, we've seen him quite a bit yeah. over the last you know few months at the club scene and uh, showcase or camp scene and he is also slated to go to Corona Centennial. So coach Josh Giles, if those two players stick, uh, you know, coming in, it's going to be able to kind of reload down the line. And that's the idea with uh, any high school team. So let's move on to the two twenty-five uh, current ninth graders. I think the best player uh, in that game, like stats wise in that specific game was uh, Gavin Hightower from Windward. Got uh, it. Big- yeah. Big strong kid, uh, but he's he has skill, right? He doesn't. He's not a bully ball type player. He can shoot it. Uh, he can handle it. He can Drive. play a role. Really smart player. I like him. I think the the most intriguing long term prospect for me, Ronnie, is Giovanni Ruff from Long Beach Poly. Sure, six uh, five, wiry, smooth. Um, kind of has that. You don't think he's athletic, but he when, when he gets up and you know gets to the basket and goes up for a dunk, he's pretty explosive. Yeah, and I think. Long-term potential, he's he's got you know the total package as a ball handler. Oh yeah, uh, wing player. Yeah, there's not going to be too many 25s that are that are more yeah. talented than him. Obviously, we haven't seen them all, but we have a good read on them. Yeah, and and, and he's one of the best. You know, a couple right other there. guys. Yeah, a couple other guys I like. Tariq Bridges. Uh, he goes to Crespi. Uh, you know, just a yes. real nice all-around feel and high motor guy. I like him a lot. Jason Joyce from St. John Bosco. Um, He's not quite as highly touted as a couple other freshmen that are there right now. Like, uh, correct. Elsie Her- Herring, excuse me, Elsie Harrington. Is that, is yeah. that correct? Elsie Harrington. Yeah. And then, and then, Kate uh, Bonham. Kate Bonham. yeah, he's, yeah. he's, they're both really good. And Jason Joyce is also really good. So he's a long, wiry, bouncy, you know, kind of, uh, uh, second chance opportunist kind of guy who just has a knack for the ball. Yeah. And he has the good feet. Makes uh, things happen. Yep. Yep. Fast, and then, off, fast off the ground. Yeah. Like Parker Steffen from Rancho Christian. Uh, you know, good all around player, uh, tough, uh, good shooter, you know, can get to the basket and finish. And uh, uh, Solo Bailey from Crossroads, obviously, 
kind of a, uh, I guess, an Instagram sensation just for the fact of how explosive he is and how <laughs> his ability to get up and dunk on people. Uh, he had, you know, obviously his uh, his physicality was a little bit too much for most of those guys in that game to deal with. Yeah. Hey, whoever's the new whoever's the new USC head coach down the line should get to know Solo Bailey. I, I, I that's kind of football? funny. Are you talking dude, about football? Yeah, dude, this guy's is just a hell of an athlete. You know what I mean? So yeah, he's he's fast, like you mentioned. He's gonna be a well known player on on, on that we're gonna be talking about for a long time, just because, like you said, he's he's mature, he's strong, he knows the game. You know, like he's yeah, he's already locked into like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm confident, I I could beat you. Um, some of the other guys that I like long term were uh, Caleb Verscher and Josh Palmer, two players who are gonna join a pretty talented St. Bernard team, where they're gonna play for Jason Porter and Tony Bland. Um, very good players, and you mentioned Parker Stephan, I liked him as well, and uh, you know, Justice Lucero. He's been around. He's kind of a player that goes to a lot of events, and he keeps popping up on the radar. So he's somebody to watch at, at Poly Riverside. Obviously, most of those guys you mentioned are some of the better freshmen, like in the uh, in in Southern California and California. Yeah. And another guy that that's been around, and we're gonna follow. And he he's kind of already has a reputation as Shamar Jones. He can he can score. He can do a lot of things. He's a little streaky. You know, sometimes he he plays really good in spurts, and then sometimes he's has a couple bad. You know, he'll have a couple of bad possessions. They don't pick it up again. So he just got to work on his consistency because he has most of the package. You know, he's strong. He's big. Yeah. He has some skill. Just got to keep working. As all these guys do. Got to remember, these guys yeah. are 225. They got a long way to go. I think the guy you look at and you're like, okay, this guy has a chance to be real special is Giovanni Ruff, obviously. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, Giovanni Ruff was really impressive. Just, I think in, in atmospheres like that, a lot of kids look to force things and look to yeah. – be ball dominant or force offensive actions. And he kind of just let the game come to him and, and didn't really try to uh, uh, force too many offensive actions. So I was impressed by that. So let's move to the 224 game. This current high school sophomores, uh, the best player in that game for me was Trent Perry from Harvard Westlake. I think his jump shot really reminds me of like a Clay Thompson type jump shot, just from a form standpoint sure. and how clean it is and how, how the ball comes off of his fingertips just so smoothly and, his rotation is great, and I like him a lot. Seven Bahati from Los Altos, explosive athlete. Yes. Uh, is really, really, really tough to deal with in transition. I like Styles Phipps. He's, uh, he was at St. Mary's of Arizona, but uh, I think he's going to transfer somewhere else. Not sure where yet, uh, but really smart, high IQ player. Yeah. Good passer. Pass point guard. Yeah, really good feel for the point guard position. Big fan of his. Uh, Lolo Rudolph, we talked about him a lot already. From St. Augustine, he was there. Uh, Derek Hill from Taft was a guy who I didn't know about before this event, and I came away yeah. impressed with his ability. Kind of a, uh, a smooth lefty shooter, but can play make off the bounce for teammates as well. And then Eric Freeney from Corona Centennial, uh, 224, obviously he's going to be – actually, he's a 225, right? And he was playing um, up in the 224 game. Is that what it is? I, I, yeah. yeah, he was – I think because he, he, he showed up a little later, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a 225. I could be wrong, but um, anyways, no matter what, he's a good player. Uh, yeah. Tough, tough kid, uh, good size for his his position and age. He can handle it a little bit. He, he can play off the ball if he needs to. Uh, I liked him a lot. Any any other standouts for you in that 224 game? Yeah, I mean, we kind of mentioned guys from, from both games because there was two games. 
Yeah, and, yeah. And, I put yeah. I put both games together. Yeah, and and I like Tyrone Riley. Yeah, from Saint Saint Pius Saint Matthias in in Downey. He's uh, another. Uh, I believe he he's another southpaw. He's like six three six four. Yep. He can really shoot it. He's just like a little like Derek Hill, but thicker, bigger, and 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 stronger right now. Moves well. Uh, kind of patient, like you said. He's not forcing things all the time, and he just has a good IQ, good feel for the game. He's going to be a really good player. His dad was a good player, and then we mentioned uh, Giovanni Ruff. His dad actually played at Manual Arts and Long, Long Beach State. James Wright. So these guys, some of these guys have good pedigrees. It's very interesting. Uh, you know that their fathers were were players that I saw, and then now they're coming along. Yeah, uh, the same thing with Marquis White. You know, Marquis White played football and basketball, so it's very interesting to see these guys. Um, a couple other guys I like were Devin Ringer. I thought he had a nice shot. He had some good moments. He's a, a two twenty four at Fairfax. So there was quite a few guys from Fairfax in two twenty four. Uh, Red Reggie Morris Jr. has a, quite a good young core. Obviously, they need to grow and work as they work their way up, and they want to be a contender in Alley City. But they're going to be good down the line. Uh, David Mack is also a good high school player. He's just active, small guard, gets his hands in there a lot, never gives up on a play, makes things happen for teammates. He, do, he does a good job, and, and I, I liked him as well. Um, Jeremy Williams from Etiwanda is a strong kid. Uh, I think he's going to be a good high school player down the line. Yeah, another guy from – a 224 guy from Fairfax who had good moments was uh, Jaden Hubbard. He's gonna be yeah. he's gonna be a real solid piece for for Coach Reggie Morris over there at Fairfax. Uh, let's move to the two twenty three games, Ronnie. Uh, top forty game. Um, so Jaden Harper from he was at Alamany as a freshman, and now he's at Sherman Oaks Notre Dame. He arrived a little bit late for the two twenty four games we played up, and man, he's gonna be really good. Yeah, Ranger, yeah. This rangy wing with smooth uh, ball handling and shooting ability, uh, and he just kind of. Just kind of gets it, man. He kind of reminds me of Giovanni Ruff, where the game just kind of comes easily to him. Yeah, and, uh, you know he has that it factor about him. Uh, I talked to him after the game. Uh, great kid, really nice kid, and I think he has a really bright future. Jaden Matingu from Saint Augustine. We've already talked about him. He was good. Isaiah Chappelle from Crossroads, uh, kind of a six seven, six eight, uh, back to the basket guy. Good hands, good feet, good touch. Uh, yeah, he's going to be solid for them this upcoming season. I like him a lot. Cyprian Hyde from Vista, uh, you know, 6'10", center, but he can shoot it a little bit, and uh, he runs the floor well for his size, and uh, his, his, I guess his coordination and athleticism are really coming along for being a kid who, you know, is 16 years old or whatever he is and 6'10", so he, he's going to be one to watch down in San Diego area. And then our guy Steve Moore has uh, a player, Mark in Rounds at Paramount, uh, who's kind of just a, an ass kicker. You know, gets downhill whenever, yeah. whenever he wants to. Gets to the basket. Good finisher. Good speed. Uh, physical player. I liked him a lot. Yeah, those were some some good guys. Uh, obviously, I, I like some of similar. I had some of the yeah. similar notions for them. Uh, obviously, Chappelle's kind of a guy I didn't know too much about. I think his dad played at Michigan State, if I'm not mistaken. And you know, he kind of reminded me a little bit of an old Crossroads player, Isaiah Fox, like an inside player. Obviously, he wasn't. He wasn't uh, as highly touted as coming into high school as Isaiah Fox was, but Chappelle can be good down the line. Mm-hmm. If you think you look at him now, and you're like, okay, he's not there quite yet, but you can see like Devin, he's, he has a chance to be really good down the line. So looking forward to, 
to seeing him, how he plays then. And then obviously you can't say enough about Harper. I saw him with the, the Paul George 15s a little bit. He's on that good team with those other 224s, Jamari Phillips, Isaiah Eholim, and He's just a, a rangy wing that can, can do a lot. He can he play a little bit at the four. He can play the three. Uh, like you said, he can shoot it a little bit, play the back to the basket, face up. I mean, he has a, a bright future, and he's you know that two twenty four class is yeah. looking strong. Yeah, compared to like some of the guys that weren't at that game either, you know, but that are in California, like that's going to be a really good class if they stick together and they all stay in the two twenty four class. Um, so some of the other standouts in two twenty three, uh, moving to the top game, I thought AJ Johnson played pretty well. We we've known about AJ for quite a while. Obviously, we want to say AJ translate that a little bit to like a high school setting watch more of him in the high school setting he's at taft and let's because of covid and other things he really hasn't had a chance to but hopefully he has opportunity this year he's like a 6-4 guard that is improving his athleticism pretty good feel can do a little bit of a lot uh do a little bit of everything and 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 obviously at his size handling the ball he has a chance to be a good prospect um i thought christian jones from bishop montgomery did really well uh, Bishop Montgomery has a lot of 223 prospects in their program. Doug Mitchell is going to have a good team this year and a really good team next year. Yeah. 223 uh, is a good first step. He defends. He does a lot of things well. And another kid at Taft who's, who was previously at Linwood, uh, Keon Kinsey's kind of was one of those kids that stood out at Section 7 that we talked about that college coaches are intrigued by his length and his, his slashing ability. Uh, he covers ground really well. He can get up. I think he's starting to show a little bit of what people see of him as a prospect. Hopefully, he continues to show that as a player. Yeah. Because he, he, he's more of a prospect than player, but he's a hell of a prospect. Yeah. I agree with you on Keon. I, I thought he had a really good game. And I think he's really starting to put together the the measurables and the look with yeah. production. And yeah. that's key. A.J. Johnson agree. Uh, I think Christian Jones, Ronnie, might be the 223 sleeper who ends up being really, really good down the line, like really good. Yeah. Wow. I, I yeah. think he plays with just great pace. He's explosive. Uh, yeah. You know, he, he kind of in transition. I mean, you can't keep him in front because he is so fast and balanced and yeah. able to change speeds and direction whenever he wants. Uh, a couple other guys who I like, Jimmy Aladakun from Damien. Yeah. 4.5 student. You know, he's in five AP classes right now. He's never gotten <laughs> me on a report card in his life. So uh, he'll have plenty of options based on uh, academics, but he's, you know, a 6'8 forward who inside-out score, he's going to be really good, um, you know, when all is said and done. Tyler Rollison, kind of a, a, you know, game manager, floor general type point guard. Um, Kelsey Phipps from Bishop Montgomery, another 223 there for Doug Mitchell. Uh, again, game manager, uh, I like his his court presence, just kind of what he brings to the court. A lot of guys, you know, trust him with the ball in his hands to to yeah. make plays. And then uh, Maurice Wright, we've covered him for, geez, I mean, since he was in seventh grade. Uh, yeah. I like him a lot. Good player. Yeah, um, Maurice just keeps playing yeah. and, and yeah. Keeps, good plays, man. And he, Maurice is just one of those guys that has like ice water in his veins. You yeah. don't know if he's having a bad game, a yeah. good game. He just plays straight and he yeah. keeps trying and he keeps hustling and he. If he misses a shot, he forgets right about it and, and takes the next one. For sure. Because you got some of these young guys, they get demonstrative. They, you know, they have bad moments. They they go in a little funks and then they get out of it. But like Maurice is just steady. 
yeah, he's a he's a real just consistent competitor on both ends of the floor, and, and that's really what stands out about him, especially defensively. He's he's a great all, on-ball defender and really good rebounder for his, his size and position. Move on to the 222 game, Ronnie. What did you see there? Yeah, in, two, in the 222 game, obviously, um, you know, you got guys that are a little bit more they feel they're established and oh, I can, yeah, I'm going to take this guy. This is my game. You know, they, yeah. I, I enjoy watching the younger guys, obviously in some of these showcase type events, but there's still some guys that show well. Um, I thought Jaden Henley from colony, he moved up, I believe, cause he came later or I'm not sure if he played in both games, but he's a 223 did well. And then 222 Malachi Scott uh, continues just to improve, you know, continue to work. He's not going to wow you. And he's not like, oh, my God, this guy, you know, you got to watch him in the layup lines. But he just continues to play hard, and he's just can slowly getting better. And that's what you want. I mean, you know, he's he, – so he'll make some college happy if he, he gets in and he just keeps working at his game. I, I really like uh, a guy who just continues to play in events and just, just wants to get better. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on a couple of those guys. It seemed like that 222 game was just kind of a mail-in game. It was a little ugly, man. Yeah, uh, time. That's what I'm saying. These guys are older. They, oh, I've been here, done that. You know, again, these 222s, you guys got to know this is for all 222s. Like, you're not getting looked at as rising seniors as it was before the pandemic. Right. I was talking to a college coach about this recently. They they had some, some questions about some guys, and I had some questions about some guys. You know, like, what do you think about this guy? And they're mentioning, guy, we're, we're seeing this is straight from a D1 college coach, a successful program. We're seeing who's going to move at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. That was his notion. So unless you already got a scholarship locked in, and if you do, and if you feel confident, you should take it. Because at the end of the season, these colleges are going to look for uh, guys to see who's moving, who's disgruntled, who doesn't want wants to move on from another college program. And they're going to they're gonna go after those guys before some of these 222s who, quite frankly, Devin, think they're a little bit better than they are. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. And that's kind of a good PSA, Ronnie, to, to close yeah. this out on. And uh, I think the the 222 who stood out to me most in, in that game was uh, Osiah Sellers, who's committed to USC probably. Yeah. If not the best, if not yeah. the best jump shooter in, in, you know, I guess the West Coast, you know, a top three jump shooter on the West Coast. Uh, but guys, man, we appreciate your time and tuning into kind of our rants through, you know, football and and uh, baseball. baseball, and then into the standouts from the last two major uh, showcase events that we've seen. Um, upcoming, uh, this showcase is, you know, in the upcoming weekend is uh, the Ron Massey uh, Fall High Memorial. School Memorial Fall High School Showcase. It's going to be loaded with good teams. Um, yeah. I think Dinos yeah. will likely yeah. have that on Baller TV. Yeah, uh, not let sure. Me what... the, let me go over the brackets or the matchups. Yeah, go ahead. Go fans ahead. out there could, could know what's going on. Um, the, the, the bracket games, it's an 18 bracket a little later in the day. There's some showcase games, 5 PM. You got Bishop Gorman of Las Vegas, who was the runner up to Corona Centennial in the section seven going up against rest ranch and their young, young guns. That should be a pretty good game. Both teams are young. Um, on that same side of the bracket is the eight 30 game is Bosco and St. Bernard. So, uh, Again, Bishop Gorman and West Ranch versus Bosco and then Bernard. So the you know those two teams are on the same side of the bracket. That game's at eight thirty. In the opposite bracket, the six ten game is Liberty of Nevada, which they have uh, 
Josh Jefferson, D. Don Thomas, good team. They're playing against Bishop Montgomery and their crop of juniors. Uh, and then the winner will take on the winner of Heritage Christian Modern Day, which is a good opening round game, and that's at 720. So if you can, you know, I don't know what the what the protocols are for fans at McBride, but if you can get there, not watch it on Baller TV, uh, those are eight good teams, and that, that should be a hell of a semifinal and a final. Semifinal place takes place on Sunday, uh, 11, 20, and 12, 30, and then the finals at 5 o'clock. Yeah, check in on, on Twitter with me. And Ronnie will be there uh, for the most part live in action. I'll be splitting time with the you know Fullerton Hornets over at the Juco Showcase in, at Momentus in Irvine, which is being streamed by Synergy. So anybody interested in junior college basketball, you can you can look at Synergy's YouTube account, and I think they're going to have games uh, live streamed, so you can watch those as well. But, uh, yeah, until next week of the, the next episode of the In the Paint Show, presented by Ball is Life. Ronnie and Devin are signing off.